Welcome to the podcast, A Life Well Lived, with me, Constance Knox. Mine is a life well lived. Can't you see the seven-story life? Us Brits love the radio. In fact, nine in ten people in the UK listen to the radio at least once a week. But did you know it was an Italian man named Guglielmo Marconi who invented it? He sent and received his first radio signal in Italy in 1895. However, it was only after the BBC launched its home service in 1922 that radio, or wireless as it was known, became indispensable in the homes of the British for almost a century. Ten o'clock. This is the BBC Home Service. Here is the news read by Brian Martin. For a long time, the BBC Home Service was the only British national radio station. The only thing you could hear were voices like these. In the French Chamber of Deputies this afternoon, Monsieur Dallager reviewed the history of the last-minute diplomatic attempts to avert hostilities. It's hard to believe that the idea of a music station didn't really exist for decades. That is, until one station came along and completely shook things up. Serving the British Isles, 14 swinging out of the day, this is 199 Radio Caroline. 319 Radio Caroline. So if, like me, you are a fan of the film The Boat That Rocked, or are of that generation who can remember listening to Radio Caroline as a child in the 60s, then tune in. It's Sunday on Radio Caroline International, and for the next three hours, we present the American Hot 100 Show. Caroline. There was a demand for pop music, and the BBC was not providing this. So along came Radio Caroline, the first pirate radio to hit the airwaves. Consisting of two pirate ships, one out in the Irish Sea, off the coast of the Isle of Man, and another in the North Sea, off the coast of Suffolk, British radio would never be the same again. It was the swinging 60s, and from March 1964 to 67, the nation was tuning in. For the first time ever in the UK, DJs broadcasted some of the greatest artists of all time, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, all day, every day. Pirate radio stations started popping up all over the place. And one man was desperate to be a part of it. I practised and practised this one sheet of paper that I'd been given to do with various news items, particularly to do with Vietnam, I seem to remember. This man's name is Nick Bailey. When he managed to get himself an interview for Radio Caroline, he blew it. But then he got a second chance. I auditioned again, and this time I passed, uh, and it had to be approved by Ronan O'Reilly, and he was the Irishman who set up the Caroline ships in the first place. And within a week, I was on Radio Caroline South, and that's how it all started. But before we start, here's a little bit about the podcast. A Life While Live podcast aims to give a voice to the extraordinary stories told by the Forgotten Generation. When I say Forgotten Generation, I mean all our interviewees are over the age of 70 and have lived long lives, drenched in joy, suffering and often hope. Some of them have been witness to some of the greatest social change in world history. 
and others have experienced things I can only imagine. A Life Well Lived podcast is supported by the leading charity, the U3A. The U3A is a UK-wide movement bringing people in their old age together to develop their interests and continue their learning. It has over 400,000 members. We'd like to say a big thank you to our leading sponsor, Cox & Kings. Without their funding, this podcast wouldn't have been possible. And if anyone would like to book an adventure, Cox & Kings are specialists in award-winning small group tours and luxury tailor-made itineraries to the world's most captivating destinations. You might recognise our guest's voice if you were an avid listener of Classic FM. Nick's voice launched Classic FM when the station opened in 1992. His beginnings were far less civilised than the sounds of violins. Nick began his career on Radio Caroline on a pirate ship three miles off the British coast. Nick was 19 when he started his radio career as a newsreader on Radio Caroline in 1966. My job was to write and present the news and I can say, quite honestly, that we pinched it from the, the BBC. Really? Uh, uh, we recorded the BBC, and then, uh, which was the light programme, which is now Radio 2 uh, at the time, uh, we recorded the news on the hour, and it was my job to turn it around, rewrite it, and uh, produce it for Radio Caroline. Good morning, this is Nick Bailey with the 8 o'clock News Bulletins. America, the United States Commission on Civil Rights has proposed stronger laws to end white-only schools in the southern states. Its report says that integration is taking too long and violence against Negroes is still discouraging many of them from seeking education with white children. Aberfan, the National Coal Board has said they accept the blame for the Aberfan disaster. See, a lot of people say, where do you get your news from? But yes, it was blatant pinching of BBC News. So what would be your uh, routine or daily routine? We were on the ship, it was two weeks on, one week off. Hmm. And uh, the first week I was there, I was the only newsreader. So uh, I had to get up at five and I finished at six o'clock at night and we did news uh, certainly every hour, maybe every half hour during the breakfast show, I think. So that was the first week. The second week, I had a colleague who was a sort of hardened journalistic type. And the third week, I was I was off. I was, I was back in London. And I started on Caroline South, but then within a few weeks or a month, certainly, I went to Caroline North. So Caroline South was off the coast, three miles off the coast of Felixstowe, and Caroline North was three miles off the coast of the Isle of Man. And what were the living quarters like? Well, on the south ship, um, not as good as the north, because the north was the original pirate ship at the end of March 1964. And within a few months, it had become so popular that Ronan O'Reilly, the boss, decided that he'd have two ships. So in the middle of the night, uh, still on air, I think the ship just started to sail. And no one knew where it was going to end up. And it eventually ended up um, on the Isle of Man. And in its place, uh, there was the Mi Amigo, that replaced that ship. So Mi Amigo became Caroline South. In terms of living conditions, on Caroline South, I had to share a, a cabin with three others. Uh, the dining room was tiny. But, you know, apart from that, it was fine. But Caroline North, uh, we all got our own cabin. The dining room, come sitting room was enormous. There was even a table tennis table. We used to go swimming off the side, go fishing uh, on the calm days. Of which, amazingly, in the Irish Sea, there were many calm days. It could be very rough, though, at other times. So seasickness? I was yeah. lucky never to be seasick, which is just as well, because I could be, uh, when reading the news, I could be looking at the sky one moment and then looking at the sea the next. 
And it did get incredibly rough because there was one night when we were all called by the captain at two o'clock in the morning when there was a, a Force 10 gale and he told us to put our life jackets on. And that was pretty worrying. Mm. Uh, in the end, it, it blew over and we didn't have to abandon ship. If you've seen the Richard Curtis film, The Boat That Rocked, you'll know it was based on Radio Caroline. It's one of my favourites. I love it. A small synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's 1966. Quentin, played by Bill Nye, is the commander of such a pirate station, overseeing a host of seedy, lusty and dope-smoking DJs. Many have debated whether it's a true story. There's a sunken ship, women, parties, sex. And now Nick can reveal all. We had a lot of fun on the boat, lots of hijinks. And, uh, well, sort of practical jokes, I mean, that, that sort of thing. And one practical joke in particular that did make it onto tape for the movie was when his friend, DJ Mick Loves It, yes, that is his name, would help Nick read the news. I, I used to have little strips of paper, so he would set it alight, and I had to read it very quickly to get on to the next one before he set the next one alight. And I noticed in the film, The Boat That Rocked, it doesn't come out that incident doesn't come out in the film itself but if you stay long enough and see the rolling credits it does come out and yeah we just had a lot of fun I mean as as is shown in the film uh, there were lots of board games uh, I introduced Scrabble I mean it sounds a very boring game uh, to play doesn't it when we we're part of the 60s, 60s. Yeah. but uh, <laughs> but that's the sort of thing we did I mean I suppose again on the the boat that rocked you see people sunbathing uh, on the, the ship and there's a lot of that I took a film uh, I borrowed my mother's movie camera and I took a film knowing this was history in the making and um, there were lots of pictures of us uh, on deck just sunbathing well, what about um, all the socialising there's a scene when all the, the ladies come onto the boat and no, everyone's very excited <laughs> we weren't allowed ladies on board because um. of insurance I think the only person who was allowed to uh, bring a woman on board was the captain and I think occasionally captain's wife would be would stay on board but otherwise not there was a, an exception in the boat in the rock there was a wedding and that was inspired by uh, mick loves it getting married on board and special dispensation was given because the, the ship's captains then as, as they can now can officially marry so it was the captain of the ship that married mick but i don't think she stayed overnight on the ship so that side of the boat the rock is not true i mean when we went, when we went ashore it was a different matter and we didn't have a lesbian cook we had live chickens on the ship, so we had eggs, fresh eggs. Uh, we made our own bread. We had, um, in Caroline North's case, we had lots of lovely Manx kippers. Were you aware of how popular it was? Uh, I think we were, certainly by the time I joined, because remember, it started in 64. By the time I joined, two years later, I joined, I joined in September 66. Any young person who listened to pop radio was listening to pirate radio. Uh, particularly Radio Caroline, and so six million in the north, six million in the south, so twelve wow. million on Caroline alone. And did you get lots of fan mail? Uh, yes, even as a newsreader, I got um, loads of fan mail. Um, I'm ashamed to say I never answered one of them. But what was interesting from, a, and I've kept them all actually. There was about two hundred that I got. Uh, I don't think I've got one from a man. They were all from from girls. Your fan. <laughs> um, they make very interesting reading. Mm sort of 50 years later. So of course I got him to um, show me some. Dear Nick, I love, love, love you. What age are you? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Dear Nick, 
Before I start, I do hope it is Nick and it isn't Rick. My name's Margaret and I'm 18 years old in two months time. My height is five foot and I have long blonde straight hair. I live in Liverpool and I love to go dancing. In 1967, Pirate Radio was shut down. The government introduced the Marine Broadcasting Offences Act, which meant pirate radios were no longer allowed to broadcast. If they did, they were breaking the law. The government claims that the wavelengths used by the pirates could potentially block emergency transmissions by ships at sea. The act would come into effect at midnight on the 14th of August 1967. But in true rock and roll style, Radio Caroline decided to keep going. Radio Caroline, um, as in the boat The Rock, decided to continue and put two fingers up at the government and did continue. But unfortunately, once the pirate ships became illegal, advertisers wouldn't touch us uh, because they could be prosecuted as well. Mm. They couldn't touch us physically if we stayed on the ship because we were still three miles out, but they could arrest you once you got back to shore. So the idea was that the people on the North ship would, if they wanted to continue, I didn't continue myself, would live in Ireland, and the people on the South ship would live in Amsterdam, and that's what happened. But within about six months, uh, there was no money coming through, and the Dutch operators weren't being paid, and they, they came one night and towed both ships away. With people on them? Uh, with people on them, yes. So there wasn't a sort of, in the film, where the boat's sort of sinking and everyone gets rescued? Uh, well, the thing that you've got to remember in the film is an amalgam of what happened to all the pirate ships over the years. And Richard Curtis was 11 when he used to listen to Radio Caroline. So it's also part of his imagination. But Radio Caroline, I think around about 1990, many years later, did sink. Um, And prior to the incident of us all being called on deck to put life jackets on, uh, Radio Caroline South had ran ran aground. So they were very wary. Mm -hmm. And some of the pirate stations were on the old World War II forts in the Thames Estuary. And some of those were boarded. So there's a scene in the film when someone's coming along to board. In this case, it's the, the pirate ship. But, uh, so all these things were, were put together. Uh, and uh, I thought the film, was, apart from the women part of it, was pretty accurate. And what can you, is there a bit that you can remember during your days on pirate radios which really stands out to you? Well, there was a, I remember listening to uh, Sergeant Pepper. And it was, it was something quite magical, really. I remember we were listening in the afternoon. We listened to the entire album. The sun was was coming through and we knew this was a historic recording and we were listening to it before our six million listeners would listen to it. And that was quite magical. That must have been amazing. I mean, being born in the 90s, hardly as exciting as the 60s. And you have all these, I have all these ideas of what the 60s was like, um, sort of free-spirited, um, a bit wild. Did you feel that sort of free spirit on that, on the boat. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think we felt that uh, the world was our oyster, really, because we were so much part of what was, uh, of what was happening. With the closing down of the pirate stations, the government promised to invest in commercial music stations that would replace them. And when the pirate stations were shut down in 1967, the BBC were forced to come up with something for young listeners, bringing into being one of the biggest radio stations in the world. Radio 1. 
The home service ceased to exist and was split into what we now have as Radio 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5 Live. Other former pirate radio stations, which are now licensed, include KISS, 100 London, Sunrise Radio and XFM. But Nick believes that the music that defined the decade has pirate radio to thank for their legacy. It revolutionised radio. And to be honest, without pirate radio, a lot of well-known records wouldn't have made it because the BBC wouldn't have played them. The thing about pirate radio was the soundtrack, really, to the swinging 60s. We were part of the swinging 60s. Pirate radio was so formative to British radio and culture. But those years on Radio Caroline were as formative for Nick. He travelled to Hong Kong and worked in radio before returning to the UK to become the very first voice of the national station Classic FM. He was witness to an integral part of history for Britain's music scene. Thanks to Nick, I've had a sneak peek into this world. And that is what this podcast is all about. And if you would like to know more about Nick and his expansive career in radio, then you can purchase his book, Across the Waves, from Radio Caroline to Classic FM, from Amazon or his website, nickbaileyradio.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes and photos of all our interviewees on our website, www.alifewelllived-podcast.com. That's www.alifewelllived-podcast.com. Or you can listen on Spotify, iTunes, just search A Life Well Lived and please subscribe and rate our podcast so we can keep telling more amazing stories. Some of our interviewees come from the U3A, so if you're listening and you have a story you want to tell, please do get in touch with us at a life well lived podcast at gmail.com. That's a life well lived podcast at gmail.com. This podcast has been made in association with the U3A, with sponsorship from Cox and Kings. The presenter was me, Constance Knox, and the producer was Mariana DeForge. Our guest today was Nick Bailey.